The Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Final hour of The Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Good conversation at 1-800-919-3776. This hour, we'll continue our thoughts on the Jets and Giants. We'll continue to talk about the Mets and Yankees. The Yankees will get underway in about, about 13, 14 minutes, so we'll keep you updated on the score out there. Mets will first pitch a little after four. And, of course, Sunday Night Baseball right here on 98.7 ESPN. Uh, before we get to the calls, I've got, two, I've got two Yankee fans on staff here today. So I'm going to ask them the same question that Ryan asked me before the update. And that was, if you were the Yankees, healthy Yankee team, would you rather face the Mets or the Dodgers in the World Series? So, Tom, I'm going to start with you. As a Yankee fan, who would you rather face, the Mets or the Yankees in the World Series? The Mets or the Dodgers? Mets or the Dodgers, right? Yeah, there yes. we go. That's... A great question, first of all, but honestly, I think I'd rather face the Dodgers, mainly for a personal reason, where I have a friend who likes to complain about the Dodgers every single day, (laughs) and so I would like to think that the Dodgers have enough problems that the Yankees can overcome. Also, as a Yankee fan, I don't know how much I would be able to stand um, certain Mets fans that I know that would be hooting and hollering about the Mets winning the World Series for probably the next 15 years, but... Also, I'd be a little bit jealous that the Mets won and the Yankees haven't in a uh, more recent time span. All right, Harvey. Let's wait. Now, you're a Yankee fan, right, Harvey? That is right. That All is right, correct. so talk to me. Uh, the last thing that I need is during football season that, to hear Mets fans coming out from every place talking about that they're up a game to nothing or two up, two, one up against the Yankees in the World Series. I don't need it, so I'd rather face the Dodgers. Um that east-west coast type of thing is as why well, it appeals to me better. Plus, I've already seen the Yankees and Mets play in the World Series, and that went well for us Yankee fans, so I don't need it again. Okay. So so, um, I, so what I told him was right. You Yankee fans really don't want to be bothered with the Mets fans. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm going to say we, uh, there's some of us Mets fans who can be um, – we can be a bit much. <laughs> we could be a bit much, but it's okay. It's all right. It's all right. I understand it. I understand it. Back to the folks who go. Buddha's in the Bronx. Hey, Buddha. Hey, what's going on, baby, bro? I'm doing good, partner. What's happening? Hey, listen, uh, I'd like to interview you uh, with, the, with the wizard, the uh, friend from the, uh, the Jets. He went to the Jets green and white scrimmage. I mean, I, I spoke to two people who went to the game. And it's funny how you get, uh, like, drastically different reports from two different people. <laughs> One guy I spoke to, he was like, listen, man, they looked bad. They were driving passes. They were yada, yada, yada. Then another guy I spoke to, he was like, listen, I know there was just, like, two-head touch. He's like, but those running backs look great. And, uh, you know, and Wilson looked better. So I guess the truth is somewhere in the middle, mm-hmm. which is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, now, listen, well, I beg to differ – with, with uh, you know, you and Ira and, and, uh, and, and I don't know why I even talk about the record or whatever. But listen, obviously, the two and two is not what you hope they be. Two and two is absolutely what they need to be after those four games. Uh, but listen, with those six, with that six game stretch, as you spoke about, I mean, part of the Jets becoming a better team is part of all of us like getting over our uh, what do you call it? 11-year beatdown, the fans, people who cover the team, everything. They cannot lose all six of those games, brother. Mm-hmm. They really can. They really can. And if they're going to be a team that's going to be taking a step forward, 
Like, you see it every year. You know, even like, what last year we beat the Bengals. You didn't expect them to beat the Bengals. No. Nope. So there's going to be a game or two that you're going to win that you weren't supposed to win. But in order to sell your program, and like I said, man, I love Caesar Sala as a guy, man. I mean, you, you know, that, that's a good man right there. You can tell. You understand what I'm saying? Yep. And I'm rooting for him hard. He got way more leeway with me than uh, Joe Douglas does, or, you know, or, or your owner. Because let's be honest, these owners and these GMs, they make mistakes, you know, and then it's like, all right, we all got to pay for it. As the coach, everybody. You understand what I'm talking about? They're yeah, always doing yeah. that. But, True. you know, in, 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 um, in live time, in order for your program to get across, you know, it's like if you're training a fighter. You know, I know it's go back to boxing. But listen, I could train you. Oh, I, I could tell you to do this. I could tell you to roll with this. I could tell you to leave your left foot if you're fighting a southpaw. If the results don't bear fruit in the tree, you're gonna lo- I'm, I'm going to lose you. You understand what I'm saying? So they have to. I don't know which one of those games it is. I mean, Green Bay is obviously good, but like they're, they're not the same team that they were last year without mm-hmm. that receiver. The Broncos, I mean, it sounds like they're going to be really good, but we don't know what they are. They were inconsistent besides other, the quarterback position. they got to win two out of that six-game stretch, and that's when – you can look at the team and be like, you know what? We're on the right road. You understand? Absolutely right, Buddha. Thanks for the phone call. You get no argument from me. You're right. They do. And so, and I think we weighed in where they picked up a couple of wins during that stretch. But you're absolutely right. That's how you show that your program is headed in the right direction. That's how you show that that your team is is in it. And the way to do that is either start out quick or make sure – and this is the this is the most important thing that I'm looking for from Robert Sala this season and his coaching staff. And and it, obviously it's how you coach up your rookies, how the difference is with Zach Wilson, you know how the defense looks, all that, all that, all the things we've discussed. But the most important thing for me is their ability to do a quicker job at adjusting to what has beat them down in first half, first quarter, whatever it is. That's where they really have to improve, right? That's where they really have to go back and make the team understand this is what we have to do to counteract what is being done to us. Those halftime adjustments, those adjustments are crucial. And it's not just halftime adjustments, right? It's adjustments from from possession to possession. The coaching has to improve substantially for this Jet team if they're going to take the next step. You've got a lot of talented players on this team. You've got some veterans on this team. All right, you 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 look as though on paper and for what people have seen and once again we won't know till you put the pads on. I mean, you could see tendencies and everything, but but you know, we won't know. But it's about them being prepared. It's about them handling the adjustments. It's about them not beating themselves. If they handle that part, that's going to help them, especially when you play against bigger, better teams, right? Because what's the mark of really great teams? They don't beat themselves. They don't. So for you to show that you're improving, for you to show that you're ready to take that next step, for you to show that, yes, there is improvement, for your team to show confidence going on the road or at home against teams that have great quarterbacks 
or have been really or have really great defenses. All right. Your confidence has got to be in your preparation and your confidence in your coaches and your coordinators that if we get if they do something we weren't expecting, I'm confident they, they're gonna put me in a position where I can make up for that and get better and not continually be beat the way we've been beat before. That's what I really need to see from this team. Very effective. Uh, like, like I said before, I mean, we, we got a lot of playmakers on our defense, um, a lot of guys that could do a lot of things very well. Um, and, you know, we got a great defensive coordinator um, calling the calls. So um, it's going to be fun. Um, you're going to see a lot of guys flying around, a lot of guys making plays and getting after the ball. So, um, you know, that's something we pride ourselves on as a defense. So, um, you know, it, it's going to be fun. And, um, you know, we, we're still working. Um, and we're still getting better and improving, um, but, you know, we're going to have a lot of fun with it. Xavier McKinney talking about the new Giants defense. It's the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. All right, Giant fans, we're up to you. 1-800-919-3776. Yankee fans, you can call in with our question as well. Who would you rather face in the World Series, whether it be the Dodgers or the Mets? Um, let's talk about this Giants team. And I mentioned and referenced when we were talking last last couple of minutes about the Jets and the Baltimore Ravens, right, and that physical defense. And that's the mindset that Wink Martindale is bringing to this Giants defense. And while you've got some concerns about the secondary and you've got some concerns about the linebackers, I think uh, this is going to be a defense, I agree with McKinney, based on what Martindale was able to do in Baltimore. Now, does he have the same type of players? How is he? Because I don't cover that team every day, I'm not sure how well he's able to adjust to the talent he has. But I will say this. They have been, from going back to Rex Ryan and his days as defensive coordinator, they have been a team that is very, very physical. And I expect that you will see a very similar type of physicality from this Giants defense this season. I expect that they're going to be that physical. Okay. And uh, I have a lot of respect for what Martin Dell has been able to do in this league with different personnel. He's been able to still maintain a certain level of defense. And I do think when you look at Leonard Williams, and I was talking with Chris Canty about this last week, when you talk about Leonard Williams and what he was able to do a couple of seasons ago, he took a step back last year. But I do think that this year with the with Martindale can get him back into the spots where he can make adjustments, where he can make plays. And I think uh, while he was very good, still good last year, Williams was still good, had an impact. I think that a lot of teams kind of schemed him away from him being as dominant as he was the year before. And part of that is because of the fact that once you lost your linebacker and Blake Martinez, that kind of changed how you dealt with the run a little bit. Even though he's a linebacker, he was all over the field. So I, I'm very curious to see how that is. But I do think this giant defense is going to be very physical. A lot of questions about the secondary, and Martindale loves the blitz like a lot of defensive coordinators do and have to in the National Football League. So you know he loves the blitz, so we'll see what he's going to come up with because the other side of it is you want to blitz, but when you don't, when you're trying to help your secondary, you don't want to blitz a lot because what it does is it puts pressure on your secondary. 
to make sure that they're able to cover the the players and the receivers that you're you know trying to take away can the rest of the secondary be able to have the communication and do the things they need to make sure that big plays don't happen anyway let's talk on the offense Saquon Barkley a lot of conversations about him a lot of thought process what's he going to be how's he going to be I mentioned to you that I spoke to a couple of players one former giant running back last week who indicated that he saw him at, at uh, training camp and he looked just outstanding speed, uh, cutback ability. It was all there. So if you're a giant fan, you're happy to hear that. If you're Daniel Jones, you're static <laughs> about hearing that. So one of the other things about the giants is much like their roommates at MetLife, the jets, they've been working on their offensive line a lot for a while. And they drafted Evan Neal. And so the question for Saquon Barkley is going to be, okay, you got a big tackle. How excited are you to run behind this big fella? I'm excited to play not only behind him, but the, the offensive line and, and get to work with, continue to work with Bobby and all the offensive guys. Uh, Evan's been doing a great job um, coming to work every single day. He's a freak. Um, his athletic ability is insane um, and how big he is. You know, he, he, when he walks in the room, you notice when he walks in the room. Uh, but like, like I said, every single, for all of us, every single day, we just got to keep proving, keep getting better. And, you know, I really think, you know, the, he can have a great future, but we just got to keep main thing, the main thing, and keep focus on brick by brick and day by day. And he's right. And listen, a, a healthy, a healthy Saquon Barkley with production is going to do wonders for this Giants team, right? Last year, he was reasonably healthy. He gave you reasonable production from a yard standpoint, but not from a touchdown standpoint, right? He he only had, I think off memory, memory serves me correct, I think he only had two touchdowns last year. And so that is not is unacceptable. Uh, will he be able to do a better job this year from what we've heard, speaking with Jordan Runon, that uh, Brian Dayball has moved him around a little bit. He's got him catching passes, which is something that I've talked about for a while. I don't understand why you wouldn't have him catching passes. He has he has an excellent set of hands. He, he's he got decent speed, okay? And now with if he's healthy, he's got a little extra speed, right? A little extra burst. So I think that's what you need to do. Because remember, you, we, we talk about running the football. You don't have to run the football by handing the football off. You can throw to the running back, and that's moving the football. You don't have to just conventionally hand it off. You can do tosses. You can do a bunch of different things on sweeps. You can do counters. You can do all that stuff without handing the football off. So I do think that Dayball, one of the things that he's going to bring to this table is going to be a versatile offense where it's not going to be predictable. He's creative. He's got some ways to get the offense and the receivers moving and running backs moving and move his quarterback around. And I think that also will help this Giants team be a bit less predictable offensively. I mean, listen, I got that your number one quarterback was hurt last year, but this Giant team with the re- with the backups they had that Gettleman, you know, gave them, where it was like, boy, uh, this is what we got. I sure hope that Daniel Jones doesn't get hurt. And this is a guy who's had trouble staying healthy. And it hurt you last year. Because you missed him, and then you ended up with, uh, you know, a, a pair of quarterbacks that just just didn't get the job done. So, uh, I think moving, using Barkley as well as you can, showing his versatility is going to do nothing but help your offense. So let's talk about Daniel Jones now. 
obviously all eyes are on him. Listen, all eyes are always on the quarterback, right? But especially when you've got a new regime and, and a guy who you have to make a decision on. Is Daniel Jones going to be your guy going forward? Now, listen, if he plays well and you think you can, he's serviceable for you, all right, then what you do is you, you know, maybe you don't, you're not going to sign him to a five-year gazillion-dollar contract, clearly. He's got to show you that he's earned that. He's got to show you that he can handle being the franchise quarterback of the Giants. He's got to produce. Very simple. But you're not married to giving him a long-term deal. You may say, "All right, who do we have? Who do we have as a, in the pipeline? If we get drafted, you know, who's the quarterbacks coming out? You know, maybe we could do another year or something of that nature." So you wait and see. But one of the interesting things here for uh, for Daniel Jones is consistency with his receivers, right? And for me, uh, that's been an issue. Because his receivers have not been healthy all the time. We, we use Sterling Shepard a lot, right, as a guy who's been in and out of the lineup. Kadarius Tony was a person that was in and out of the lineup too. Now, as I mentioned, there were a couple of games, one particularly, where his skills just jumped off the page. His speed, his breakaway speed ability, his great hands. And they have talked, once again, referring to a conversation we had with Jordan Ronan, they have the concern is that on some occasions his focus is not what has been his focus is not what it needs to be to consistently be a guy who's going to make plays and and see what he's got to do and how he can be effective in an offense and this is coming with a new coaching staff that's not the way you want to start all right you want to show that hey i want more playing time and clearly, where he was drafted, the skill set, the speed, he should be a big-time playmaker for this Giants offense. Right? There's no question. He should be a big-time playmaker for this Giants offense. Here's Daniel Jones talking about Kadarius Tony. I mean, I think KT's done a, done a great job, um, you know, coming in and, and uh, you know, picking up on the offense, learning the scheme, you know, um, you know, Playing different positions and and uh, you know bringing what he does well to the table. He's a dangerous guy with the ball in his hands and and uh, you know we got to find ways to to get him the ball. So um, you know he, he's an extremely talented player and and uh, brings a special dimension to our offense. He does. There's no question. He's got talent. He's got speed. He's got good hands. But he's got to be focused and able to make plays. Otherwise, why are you going to have him on the team? Okay, and listen, doesn't mean that he can't get better. Doesn't mean that he can't mature. Doesn't mean that he can't correct these faults. Of course not. He can do that. He can get better. He can coach. He can be coached up. And you may have to, you know, reach him by cutting his playing time because that reaches all athletes because they all want to play. They may not, they may not run hard. They may not hustle. They, they, they may not, you know, <laughs> they may not be what you want, but they all want to play. And the best way to get their attention is by cutting their playing time. And if he doesn't perform, then he's got to sit and he'll understand. So how does Daniel Jones like Brian Dayball's offense? Here's what he had to say. Yeah, I'm getting more comfortable every day, I think. Um, you know, we're, we're still uh, early in the process. We've got a lot of work to do. I, you know, I think um, that's certainly my mind, mindset. I think that's 
Coach Dayball's mindset and, and the whole you know group's mindset is we've got a lot of work to do and, and we're eager to do it. So uh, I'm comfortable and, and continuing to uh, work to get more comfortable. I believe that they're going to throw everything at him to see how he well he handles it, to see uh, what he can do freelancing or is. Zach Wilson like to say these off-script plays. And that's going to say a lot. For Daniel Jones, it's very simple, ladies and gentlemen. He's got to return to his to the first couple of years where his completion percentage was much better than it's been. He's got to hold on to the football. Can't turn it over. And he's got to be available. I mean, I, if I'm paying you to be my franchise quarterback, I need you to be able to play. And as I've said before, what makes it even tougher for him, he's following a guy in Eli Manning who was never, never out. The one time he missed a game, it was because the front office lost their mind <laughs> and thought that Geno Smith was a better option for a week. <laughs> so I'm just saying, that's, that's availability to the highest level. And so when you're compared to that guy who's – Always available. Man, that's tough. And you're not available and you've missed games every season of your career? If memory serves me correct, I don't think he's played a full season in the four years. I mean, that's tough. And for a new coaching staff and, and general manager coming in, that's that's a hard, that's a large part of my evaluation. It's got to be. What am I sensing? What, 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 what's going on with this guy? Is he going to be available? The Larry Hardesty Show on 987 ESPN. 1-800-919-3776. Also be a Twitter at Hardesty ESPN at ESPN NY 98 underscore 7 FM. So this has been a fascinating uh, situation. And while we focused a lot on whether Donovan Mitchell is coming to the Knicks, and I've said repeatedly and maintained that I like how the Knicks are handling it. And then I see a, a post recently, excuse me, where it says that the Knicks really don't want to give up Derrick Rose as part of the uh, deal for Donovan Mitchell. I get it. Because you understand that one of the either Derrick Rose or Evan Fournier's got to be included in the deal because of the money situation. Like you can take all these draft picks and all these uh, young players, but eventually another player is going to have to be a part of that deal. A veteran player who's making substantial amount of money. Now, I know there are those of you out there who would wish it would be a Julius Randle. I don't think it would be Julius Randle. I know the uh, because of Tom Thibodeau's confidence and affection and comfort level with Derrick Rose. He doesn't want it to be Derrick Rose. He's already lost Taj Gibson, one of his comfortable players. So I, I, he doesn't want to lose both. So I think that kind of leans you towards Evan Fournier. Now, I know there's a number of folks here who would say, okay, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Take the money and, you know, good. See you. I, I'm all right. No Fournier, it's okay. See, so we've been focused a lot about that, and very quietly, 
we haven't heard anything about what's going on with Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving. So Ian Begley, who is the sports insider for SNY, has an interesting comment, and he's going to update us on both. So let's, let's hear what he has to say about what's going on with the deal to move Kevin Durant. On the Kevin Durant front, a couple of people familiar with the Nets dynamic in their search of potential trades of Kevin Durant said there was some pessimism, a lot of pessimism about the idea of a deal getting done in the near future here. And part of that pessimism was about the idea that finding a third team or a fourth team that would help facilitate a trade that the Nets deemed suitable of Durant uh, was difficult. They said there, there was not a lot of interest around the league as of last month about teams acting as that third and fourth team as a conduit to get something done here with the Nets and Durant. Again, very fluid situation. Uh, but as we approach, you know, less than two months to camp, uh, it's worth noting that there was pessimism about something getting done in the near future. Well, listen, so, so think about this, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not surprised. So think about this. If, and think about the original offer that Utah asked for the Knicks. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. It was about four number ones, four or five number ones. They wanted Grimes, McBride, Toppin, Quickly, and I believe one other player, if memory serves me correct. I've seen so many different ideas about these <laughs> trades. So something of that nature for Donovan Mitchell, okay? And Donovan Mitchell is a heck of a player. So if that's the asking price for Mitchell, could you imagine what the asking price is for Kevin Durant? And I get the age difference. I get he's 34. I get that. But he is still a phenomenal talent. He's still a fabulous shooter. He's still a great three-point shooter. He can get to the basket. He, he's a tremendous player, and he plays defense and can rebound for you. Take the ball off the off the boards and start be a one man fast break. And how do you who's blocking the shot consistently? Although I did see it blocked in the postseason last year, which made me think that he might have been a little injured because I've never seen his shot blocked that consistently in his career. So I'm thinking, who, what, what kind of package are you putting together? to try and get Kevin Durant based on what people are asking for from, you know, for, for Donovan Mitchell. Right, let's, let's, let's play it. Let's play it. Let's play it further. How many number ones did Minnesota give up for Rudy Gobert? So based on that, if we're using that as a scale, <laughs> you're kidding me. <laughs> He's not going anywhere anytime soon. He definitely is not going anywhere anytime soon. All right, it's not happening. Let's see what's the update on Kyrie Irving from SNY's Ian Begley. With regards to Kyrie Irving, I was told by a source close to Irving that he feels that he and the Nets are in a pretty good place, very good place right now, and comfortable as we sit here in early August, heading towards the start of next season. Irving obviously uh, opted into the final year of his deal. 
with Brooklyn. Uh, he could be an unrestricted free agent next summer after a lot of trade talk. Doesn't appear to be much there at the moment. So it's worth noting that Irving, corner source close to him, is very comfortable. Uh, feels like the Nets and he are in a good place at this point as you head towards next season. All right. So once again, <laughs> this is a source close to Irving. What are the sources close to the Nets saying about this? Right, that would be that would be another question. What are they saying? And listen, I hope it works out, but I don't think so. And I just think that this may be something that fires back up as we get closer to to camps, as I've mentioned previously. When you get closer to camps and more conversation and more GMs are getting ready for the for the regular season and looking at their rosters and what they have to do and decisions they will make, then I think these opportunities will open up and you might see some more conversation some more movement I would not be surprised I would not be surprised if Kevin Durant started the season with the Nets I would not be surprised I'm not sure about Kyrie it's that's 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 a tough read there's a you know what there's a good chance they both may be there because I just don't see what you would do to move them I don't know who, I mean, Kyrie's got a one-year deal. Would you, are you going to roll the dice and think you're going to be the guy that he'll play this year for? I mean, you know, based on last year, I mean, hopefully there's no, there's, there's no situation about uh pandemic and, you know, taking signing and taking a, uh, you know, the vaccination and stuff like that. You know, that's that was mandated here in New York. If he moves out of New York, it's not going to be an issue. Right. And then once, uh, you know, the new mayor came in, Mayor Eric Adams, it was relaxed. So it wasn't you didn't have to have it. It wasn't mandated. So he was able to play a little bit. But I just don't know if I just don't know who would want to take. I just don't know who's going to take that shot. Once again, talent wise, please give me a break. One of the top point guards ever, but what he can, what he brings to the table, ever shooting, scoring, passing ability. It's great. The, the, the talent is not the issue here. Talent is not the issue here. It's just availability. That's the biggest question. What is his availability going to be? And you know what? You can't answer that. Neither can he. Uh, let's go back to the phones at 1-800-919-3776. Hey, Kenny in Jersey, what's up? Hey, what's up, Larry? I, I agree with you 100% on the Kyrie Irving. But I think I differ a little with you with the um, Kevin Durant. Mm-hmm. I feel like if you feel like Kevin Durant is going to still be productive like LeBron at that age, then I could see, you know, going for him. But if not, if he's like every other human being besides Tom Brady, if he's like every other human being, an athlete, he's going to fall off. And as you've seen last year, his shot got blocked a few times by Tatum, which never happens. Mm-hmm. So he might be declining a little bit. So I, I would take a flyer on Kevin Durant. But with Kyrie, you might have to roll the dice. Yeah, the talent the talent is, is well, I tell you what, I, I might roll the dice in both cases. Thanks for the phone call. 
can you, depending on what the asking price is, right? Because that ultimately decides what you're going to do. It's, it's the asking price. That's it. And I might, I might, with Kyrie because of the talent and the age, I might take, I might, I might roll the dice. It depends on several things, right? It depends on how strong my, my locker room is, how strong my coaching staff is, and just a long conversation with him to try to see what's going on, what what has happened over these past previous stops that has that has him moving so much. I mean, think about this. He, Cleveland, Boston, now the Nets. You know, and this is a guy that, that you know, you want to try to keep because of his talent level. So um, I, I might roll the dice. But I'm telling you, I would roll the dice with Kevin Durant too because I still think he's got – I still think he's got skills left, right? He's not done. I mean, still, who's? Uh, I just think the production is going to continue. This is a this is a easily a double double guy. Easily, easily. There's not many double double guys in the NBA who can take over a game. He can take over a game. And yes, you notice Tatum getting him. I don't know whether it was fatigue. I don't know whether it was injury. I don't know what it was. But you're right, Kenny. You hadn't seen Kevin Durant get his shot blocked that often. I can't remember. And of course, I'm sure it's happened. But I don't remember seeing it blocked that often in a short amount of time. All right, so give. how about we give Jason Tatum some play and give him some, some props on what he was able to do. And yeah, he might not be. I mean, nobody's continues to be great as they get older it, it's tougher but I still think he's not I don't know that he's going to drop off a cliff I still think he's going to be good enough that he will make a sizable contribution to your team I really do I mean for what he brings to the table I'm, you know now once again what am I giving up to get him see that's the question because I have to have somebody around to support him. I can't give up everybody and have him expect him to come here and think he's back with OKC <laughs> with only one guy like Russell Westbrook and then, you know, a bunch of role players. No, I got to have, I need, I need some more guys. So what is it going to cost me to bring him? That's, that's the big question. Dante's in Queens. What's up, Dante? Hello. Hi, Larry. Yes, I'm here. Hey, thanks for taking my call. You're all right, um, Even though, no problem. Um, now, you obviously know I'm a Knicks fan, even though my call is about Kevin Durant. Mm -hmm. um, if, if I'm looking at it from his perspective, okay, you really want to get traded. It's not working out. You know, the, he gave the Nets this whole offseason to trade him. What, what do you think the odds are? He just says, okay, you know what? I'm just going to sit out because wouldn't that put more pressure on them to make a deal? It would, Dante, but you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't see him as that that guy. You know what I'm saying? And thanks for the phone call. I don't see him as, I don't see him as that James Harden type, right, that's going to sit out, that's going to come to camp, you know, not in shape, I, he he loves the game too much. I, I don't I don't know that he was that disenchanted with the Nets. Now, once again, 
We don't know. We haven't heard from him. We've had a couple of beat writers who cover the Nets, Christian Winfield for the Daily News and Brian Lewis for the New York Post. And their gut feeling is, once again, like me, you don't really know. But in hearing him and speaking with people who know him and having you know, spoken with reporters who have covered him, I don't get the feeling that he's a sit-out guy. I get the feeling that he loves basketball. And so I don't know that he would sit out. I don't know that he would say, okay, you know, trade me. Now, And, and once again, it's not a money situation because he's already signed. So it's not, it's not that he's unhappy with his contract. So it's not sit out and it's not pay me or trade me. It's it, it's a little different, right? And so, just from once again, from all I've heard, I, I don't I don't think he's that guy. Now, it depends on what it really is, why he's angry and doesn't want to be here. That's the other option. And once again, we don't know because we haven't heard from him to say why he doesn't want to be here or why he requested the trade. So, is it is it something that the Nets can work on? Is it something that they've already worked on? Is it something that is salvageable? Salvageable. Is that what it is? Is it something that the Nets can find a way to work it out and then he'll be okay for the time he's here? Or is it something that will be brewing similar because it's not the same because, he once again, he signed the contract, but is it similar to the Juan Soto deal where it's something that happens at the trade deadline in the NBA where he stays here and then in the, in the middle of the season, right around all-star break time in February, a big trade is made and Kevin Durant leaves and Kyrie leaves. Is is that something? So just because it just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it can't happen before the regular season. It doesn't mean that they will be here for the whole season and it can't be moved in the middle. But I will say it's kind of weird for a player to say that they want to be traded and you're still here. I don't know. Once again, I don't know what that dynamic is going to be in that locker room because we don't know why he wants to go. Abdul's in the Big Apple. What's up, Abdul? How you doing, Larry? Thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. I really feel like Kevin Durant is untradeable based upon what Rudy Gobert got. His Kevin Durant is too spectacular of a player for anyone to make that payload available. And I think Brooklyn is going to end up going back-to-back with Kyrie and Kevin Durant once again and make it, giving us one more round. What do you think? Well, I, listen, uh, based on that logic, Abdul, I can't disagree with you. Thanks for the phone call. I mean, what, as I said, to start, and you alluded to it too, with what Minnesota got for Rudy Gobert, with what Utah is asking the Knicks for Donovan Mitchell, Three team, you might need a four team to get this deal done. Because I don't know that two teams can give the Nets what they want for Kevin Durant. 